You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Here we go. Super excited. So um, this morning we'll be in Acts 17 verses 1 through 9. And our focus is going to be looking into Paul and Silas's experience in, in Thessalonica. And we're going to try to draw out some practical application and encouragement for ourselves so that we can be more equipped to share the gospel. So uh, why, why teach on this? Why is this the focus for today? So three reasons. Uh, one, uh, preaching the gospel is safe for you. So when I preach the gospel to you, that's safe for you. So Philippians 3.1 says, uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me as it is safe for you. So I'm telling you something that we already know. I'm, I'm retelling and restating um, something that we've heard before. I'm telling you the same things that we already know. But it's meant to encourage you. Um, I'm not here to tell you something new. So you can have trust that it's, it's true and it's from God's word. Uh, preaching the gospel is also safe for me. So in Galatians, um, we're, we see where people have come and they're teaching a different gospel. Those that teach a different gospel are to be accursed. So it's safe for me when I come and I teach the gospel to you, something that's the same. Um, I'm not trying to come up with a new idea to teach you. Um, the gospel is safe for me as well. And then the gospel equips the saints for ministry. So in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So I'm here this morning to um, go over this section of scripture to equip you guys uh, for ministry. My hope is that, um, number one, I'm different. I need to change. I need to grow in this. I'm sitting in the front row of this sermon. I wish I, I don't have a mirror to hold up to, to talk to myself, but I need to grow in this area as well. So I'm not here before you as somebody who has this all figured out and is an expert. I need to grow and I need to change. And then my hope is that some of you are different as well, that we as a church walk away equipped, encouraged, and excited to go share the gospel. Um, that our hang-ups or maybe the things that would cause us to not share the gospel are exposed, addressed, and submitted to the Lord. Um, that the pressure is taken off of us by clearly defining what our roles are um, and what God's role is and what the role of his word is as we um, share the gospel with others. Um, and that the purposes are, are clear, that we're not here to um, earn a salvation or earn righteousness, but we're here to share the gospel out of love. We're here to reconcile the lost um, with God. We're here to, um, as we sang about this morning, um, usher in and give hope for eternity for, for these people who have no hope. Um, so, so those are the purposes and the outcomes that I hope will be um, achieved as we teach this, um, walk through the scripture together. Um, so I thought, so we don't have notes today. We don't have really anything um, to, to walk through, but what I would like to do is you guys who are note takers, maybe, um, as I pray for us and as I read through the text, um, if you would, maybe write down one or two things that come to mind if you have them, things that may be barriers for you, things that cause you anxiety as you are sharing the gospel, um, reasons maybe why you don't share the gospel. Um, and then as we listen and as we go through the text, you can, be, you can have those on your mind. Um, we can pray through those at the end as well and give those to the Lord, but hopefully some of those things can be addressed. So I can share mine real quick if, just to be vulnerable and um, get you guys started. So um, it's difficult for me to be able to be in a conversation with somebody and, and I, I struggle to like get the topic back to the gospel. So if I'm in a work context or just getting my haircut, it's 
how do I get whatever you're talking about right now to the gospel? I struggle to kind of connect those dots. Um, I definitely get inside my own head about the aftermath. Um, what's going to happen if I do um, share the gospel with somebody? And um, a lot of times the eternal significance of what that conversation brings is missed by me. Um, so those are three things that I was really going into this time uh, looking to address and looking to grow in. Um, so as we read this and as we pray, um, think about those, uh, what, what would be true for you in those areas. Um, I'm going to read uh, Acts 1, uh, 17, 1 through 9 now. <clears throat> it says, Now when they had passed through Amphilitis, Amph- <laughs> Amphipolis, sorry, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city, authorities shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray. God, as we look at this text... God, I pray that you would, um, through the Holy Spirit, draw out the things that each of us need to hear. God, that you would um, confirm in us the uh, calling that you've placed on our lives to be your ambassadors, to share the gospel with those um, in a lost and dying world. God, that you would help us to trust you, that um, the the things of this world, the the hard things that we might face as a result of the gospel are nothing um, compared to spending eternity separate from you. Um, God, there is nothing that can separate us from you. Uh, persecution is uh, not something that we can and should fear. Um, so God, all the reasons and barriers that, that might be in our minds, God, I pray that um, as we teach, you would uh, give us peace about those things. Um, God, please just, as I'm here teaching, uh, bring to mind the words that you would have um, me to say. And God, I pray that you would um, help us to walk out of this time as people who are excited to share the love of Jesus uh, with other people, that we can share the hope that we have for eternity with others that we could um, talk about the mercy and the grace that's been poured out upon us, that you would be made wonderful, that you would be made great, that you would be glorified, and people would just see how amazing you are um, in and through our lives. Um, God, we love you and ask all these things in in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, So we're going to start just looking at verses 1 through 4. So in these verses here, um, Paul and Silas arrive in Thessalonica from Philippi. Um, They head straight to the Jewish synagogue to reason with the Jews from the scripture, and then people get saved. So um, we're going to start there at that last point. Um, People get saved. So we have Jews getting saved. We have Gentiles getting saved. We have men getting saved. We have women getting saved. Um, The gospel is for all people at all times, but it's not the skill of the presentation that produces this outcome. It's the content. It's the message that is brought. It's the words that are said. So um, in, the, in this section, we see Paul reasons from the scriptures. Uh, it's the scriptures themselves 
um, that beget new creations, not our skills and reasoning, our presentations, the promises of what um, we would get, health and wealth or eternal life, but it's um, the word and what it says about Jesus that, that makes new creations. Um, so First Peter 1.23 um, is where this truth is coming from. So it says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So this begotten anew or born again, there's a picture and a context here of being born again that goes all the way back to conception. So with the word of God acting as the, the male portion or contrib- contribution of fertilization. So it's that born anew, like almost like being conceived again. Um, and the word is what's making that happen. So human men beget new life that will at some point pass away. But the word itself is invincible, incorruptible, and it begets a new creation that is imperishable. So Paul has taken his audience to Jesus through the scriptures, and he models for us that we can do the same. So Jesus is the key to opening scripture. It's all about him. The scriptures, um, they're speaking to all of our biggest questions and needs. So um, when, so why is life so hard? Why do bad things happen? What happens after we die? What does it mean to be a good person? Where is there solid footing to build my life upon? How can I have hope as I watch this world get worse and worse? Whether we're talking to a lost person, a saved person, our children, just hurting people, it's the word that brings new life. It's the word that can bring people um, closer to, um, to Jesus, and it's the word that is eternal and, and imperishable. So the word speaks to all of our deepest and biggest questions, and also it satisfies our greatest longings. So um, we long for stability, for hope, for purpose, for love and inclusion. The word also puts an end to a joyless pursuit of righteousness through works, and it introduces grace by faith in our loving and heavenly Father. So because it does these things, but it does all of these things in the person of Jesus, um, our biggest need and the biggest need of our world is not answers, it's not advice, it's not principles, but it's Jesus. Um, and when we are, and when, what Paul is doing when he's reasoning with these people and he's bringing the word to them, he's addressing their greatest need. He's addressing their need um, for salvation. He's addressing their need for reconciliation with God. So whether we're reasoning um, with the lost through the word, we're reasoning with our kids, we're reasoning with um, our spouse, or we're, we're reasoning with those who, are, um, who we're giving counsel to, um, we need to reason with the word. We need to base all of the things that we say in the word because it's the word that brings new life. Um, and so that's something that we can um, think through as we are um, seeking to grow in our ability to share the gospel. It's coming to those interactions with not our own words, but with the, the words of God. So we can think about ourselves maybe like in the concept of an ambassador. Um, ambassadors, uh, they represent a state. They are temporarily accredited to another state as a representative. So they ensure that the voice of where they come from, uh, their home country is heard in this foreign land, and they act as diplomats. They, where, com- where there's conflict between the two countries, they work for peace. So for us, we are citizens here, citizens of heaven that are temporarily living here, and we represent Jesus. So we bring this message to this place, but it's not necessarily like our skill that, that changes people, but we bring the message, and then God changes the hearts. He removes the heart of stone. Um, he inserts a heart of flesh, and he makes reconciliation possible between the kingdom of earth and kingdom of heaven. We bring the message, and the word. We bring the message, and the word brings new life. Okay, so hopefully, 
the fact that results are not up to us begins to take some pressure off, hopefully. Um, it does for me. So that, that can be some encouragement for us and can address some of our, our hangups. I know for me, it can feel overwhelming, even standing up here right now, that it's a results-based thing that I'm doing right now. Um, but it can really help me feel peace that I'm bringing you guys God's word, and I can trust that you'll be different walking away from this time. And it's not um, my skill at delivering it. It's not my skill at crafting it perfectly. But it's God's going to do something with the word, and you guys can feel the same. As you're in gospel-centered conversations with people um, who, who are lost or hurting, just bringing that word to their ears, God can do something with it. Um, so let's look at the text some more. We can see what else we can pick up from Paul um, to address some of the thing, some of the hangups that we wrote down maybe. So first of all, some things that maybe like we can control. Um, we don't control results, but uh, we can be planful and strategic. So um, Paul comes to specific towns. He seeks out the religious people in synagogues. So in, in the text, we see that he goes through um, Amphilopolis and Apollonius, and then he stops in Thessalonica. Like, there's specific places that he's going. And when he gets to these cities, he goes to specific places. And he meets the religious people where they are, um, and he reasons with them. He goes to places where he knows that they're going to be talking about religious things. Um, and he's a Jew. He's a Roman, he's a Roman citizen. He's a Pharisee. He knows how these people think, and he can come into town and walk into the world and engage with them. So this is what he does in Antioch and Encomium and Thessalonica, Berea, and, and Ephesus. Um, it's, this, it's the strategy that, that he has to go and have meaningful conversations with the people that need to hear the gospel. So uh, for me, for us, uh, we're all strategic in some way. Um, what's going to be the fastest? What's going to be the cheapest? What's going to be the best quality? What's going to be the most profitable? What's going to be the most enjoyable? We have the ability to be strategic about how we live our lives. Um, and I think that this is something that, for me, I can take away and be strategic in gospel conversations. Um, I can find contexts where it's going to be easy to engage with people in the gospel. Um, so, for example, like where can I ha- like if I'm going to pick where am I going to get my haircut? Is it going to be the cheapest or is it going to be where I can have the most gospel-centered conversations? That's not something that I would typically think about. But I think that that's something that we can um, do as we go about our lives. What, what contexts and interactions can we choose to um, place ourselves in where gospel-centered conversations can happen? Um, this one speaks directly to one of the hang-ups that I have about getting these conversations navigated towards the gospel. It can be very difficult, but if it's a place where it's happening and there's conversations there, that can take, some of the, um, that can take away that hang-up and um, have conversations happen. Um, also, we need to be open and um, ready for spontaneous encounters as well. So verse 16, Paul's in Athens. He's waiting for the rest of his party to arrive, and the Spirit provokes him to engage with these pagans. These are people that are not like him. These are people who um, engage in idolatry. But um, when the Spirit prompts him, he engages in the gospel as well. So being open and ready for those um, is important, but then also we can be um, intentional, just as Paul was, so we can learn from him in this. Um, we can be prepared. So Paul, the, the way that it talks about and describes Paul um, engaging in these conversations, it says he reasons from Scripture. So this word reason, it's um, to make a logical argument, to discuss or converse with someone, to um, exhort them, to argue with them, persuade them, to preach to them or dispute them. 
the, the, word, the same word is used in Mark uh, 9.34 to describe the disciples arguing with each other about who's the greatest among them. They're saying uh, they want status, and they are trying to make a case against each other for who will be the greatest. It's used uh, to describe Paul's preaching throughout um, his time in Acts. And then also it's used in uh, Hebrews 12. So it's neat. This is actually like a good example. Not only is the word used here, but it's a good example of reasoning from the scripture. So in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, the author of Hebrews is exhorting and reasoning with, our, with the readers to not grow weary in fighting sin. And then he uses the scripture to support that reasoning. He quotes Proverbs uh, 3, verse 11 and 12. So uh, th- this reasoning, this intentional building a case, this in- intentional... Building an argument based on the scriptures is what um, is what Paul's doing there. So we can be prepared to do that. Uh, we and we reason not from our own understanding, but from the scriptures. So the scripture, this word graphe, is is used to describe the Old Testament writings. So Paul is here; he's interacting with Jewish people, and he's building this case to show that Jesus is who that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies that have been made about him. He knows his audience well, and he knows the case that will, that could um, point them to. He, he knows the case that he's trying to make, and he's making that case from Scripture. Um, and so Paul, he doesn't reason in the abstract; he reasons with the people using the Word of God. Uh, this is the foundation that he uses um, to build his case about the divine origin of Jesus. Um, so there are two places in the New Testament, though, where. Um, New Testament writers quote each other and use it authoritatively and call it scripture. So we should be completely open and and able to make our reasoning um, from the New Testament. But what Paul was doing here was he was using the Old Testament. So let's go in and um, just take a look at what Paul talked about. What what case did he make um, and what did he talk about when he engaged with the the people in Thessalonica? Um, First of all, he told them that the Christ must suffer. So this was something that the Jews had forgotten. The Messiah was prophesied both to reign and suffer. And they were just looking for a reigning Messiah. They weren't looking for the suffering Messiah. So um, why must Christ suffer? What is, what, is our, what is the need that Christ, like why did Christ need to suffer? Um, so we can go and look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. So surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Also Romans 3.23. For there is no, dist- no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Christ had to come and suffer. Number one, because we, we are in need of a savior. All of humanity is lost. All of humanity is an enemy of God by nature. Um, there's a fundamental discrepancy about who we are that's in question. If we encounter people who think, I'm mostly good, I don't really need a Savior, there's this reasoning that needs to happen from Scripture that helps them to understand um, their need uh, for Jesus specifically and why he came and suffered for them. The gospel can be accepted and trusted and believed when humanity accepts their identity as that which is described in the Bible as fallen and needing of a savior. So that's a case that's being built for these people um, that they have a sin problem that must be dealt with both um, as individuals and as humanity. We have a sin problem that must be dealt with. 
A substitutionary death is needed to account for the sin, humani- the sin of humanity and make re- reconciliation with God possible. There's a case that has to be built for that. There's um, an argument that needs to be made for that. Um, the, the argument that's made for that, our, our kids don't usually hear. Um, they hear, you're good, you're a great kid, you're the best, everybody wins, right? Like, there's this argument that has to be made against that. That's, um, we are naturally self-centered, and we naturally, I think, think that we're good. So there's a case that has to be made from Scripture for our need for, for a Savior. Our gospel con- uh, conversations also need to include um, the fact that Christ must rise from the dead. So he dies, he takes the substitutionary death, he takes the punishment for the sin that, that we all have committed, and he rises from the dead. So why must he rise? Vindication and victory for God's people over this final enemy, sin and death, um, is needed. Um, and Christ's resurrection makes that possible. It makes it possible for there to be um, a reconciliation between individuals and God, but also reconciliation between heaven and earth. We had it up on the screen earlier. Through him, to, uh, G- through, him through Jesus, um, there's reconciliation to himself of all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. There's peace that can be, the only way to have peace with God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then also um, his, gospel conversa- his gospel presentation includes the fact that Christ is the Messiah. So it can't just be anybody who dies and is resurrected. Um, Jesus himself is there's, a unique, there's unique things about him. There's unique things of why his specific death and resurrection is important. Um, so this, this idea of Messiah um, comes from, um, we can see that in, in John uh, 20, verse 30. So it says, so Jesus says to Christ, so it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing him, Believing, and that by believing you may have um, life in his name. So Paul recounts Jesus' life, his ministry, his suffering, his death, and resurrection, and reasons that they fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of a promised priest, king, and prophet anointed by God to bring about our redemption. Um, One of the commentaries I saw said, one of the comments, so it says, um, no one can predict in advance with exact precision what will happen in our world in the future, or in the life of a human being. Yet it is an indisputable fact that over a thousand specific prophecies from antiquity regarding the Messiah are fulfilled specifically, particularly, and perfectly in the person of Jesus. Jesus specifically, this, this idea of an anointed um, king, priest, and prophet was talked about from the Old Testament, um, and it was the, the way that God was going to reconcile, reconcile himself back to his people. And the fact that it is Jesus is very important um, because it can't, it has, there is a divine need there um, for this perfect sacrifice to be made. So there we see uh, the content of, of Paul's um, gospel presentation. Um, a couple of things to mention before we um, go on. Uh, so we can, it's not stated specifically, but it's something that I want to call out and make sure that we incorporate into how we're thinking about um, our preparation and our and being strategic to go and share the gospel. So we can be prayerful. Um, so prayerful for the right perspective. This is a really good opportunity to um, apply the things that we learned from last week, to be loving, to be gentle, to be patient, to have the right heart condition as we go and engage people for the, 
for the gospel. We're not doing this from selfish, selfish ambition. We're not doing this to make our name great. We're doing this out of love, um, both for God um, as an act of worship, and we're doing it out of love for those that are lost. Um, and then finally, the last thing uh, that I think brings a lot of comfort and something maybe that uh, we forget about sometimes is to partner up. So um, Paul and Silas are doing this together. There's accountability there. There's support there. There's encouragement. Um, and that can just add a lot to you while you're um, engaging in the gospel. Um, so who is your Silas? Is there somebody that you can go and, and partner with and be strategic and prayerful um, and prepare together to go and share the gospel? So what have we looked at? Paul goes to the synagogue. He reasons from Scripture that Christ must suffer and rise from the dead and that Jesus is the Christ. He's strategic. He's prepared. Um, I assume that he was prayerful. And he, and he brings somebody with him. And then people are saved. So what truths can we pull out of this? When we make God's word the foundation of our gospel presentations, we are not only just drawing on some words. Not, we're not just pulling out a section of Scripture, but we're... Using uh, So God's word does much more than just convey the story of who Jesus is. It's by God's word that the universe was created. It's by um, God's word that things were made out of nothing. Um, it's by God's word that things are sustained and held together. And in God's word, we see that um, God's word will be successful. It will not return empty, and it shall accomplish what its purposes are. So we don't have that promise and guarantee from our own words. We have that promise and guarantee um, from God's word. The gospel is for all people right where they are. For the lost, for the religious, for the intelligent, for the pagan. But it's for all people. Everyone gets saved in the same way, responding to God's word. Um, We see it in the Old Testament, New Testament, Jew, Gentile, man, woman. Everyone is saved in the same way. It's all based on a response and faith to God's word. Um, and so one final piece of encouragement for us uh, from this text that I hope will address maybe some of our, our hang-ups is that it's an encouragement, I guess, but it doesn't sound like it. God's word produces opposition. Um, so just as we can't take credit for people getting saved because it's God's word that begets new life, we also can't take personally the opposition that's going to come our way. Um, new life's not easy. It involves dying to ourselves, dying to our own glory, giving up our status as Lord of our own lives. Preaching the word of God without compromise will create division. The Jews were jealous. They were envious. That was their response to, um, to the gospel. They felt that something that was rightfully theirs was being taken away and given to another. So it's that same word and the same idea that, uh, Joseph, Joseph's brothers have towards him, um, It's the same response that Rachel has towards Leah. And it's the same response that God has towards idolatry. So Ezekiel 39, 25, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. This this idea that something that is yours is being taken away from you, this jealousy, that's the response that the Jews had. Um, They were losing power. They were losing influence. They were losing financial gain. The high priests were in jeopardy of losing that which they had. Um, a, a status that, that they enjoyed. Um, and so their response there, they take a very common tactic uh, that we still see uh, today. So they make Christianity sound dangerous. They paint the objective truth that we believe about ourselves in a negative light. They call us troublemakers. They, they call us haters. And their attempt to delegitimize, delegitimize the gospel message as relevant or good, they, um, they call it dangerous. They, they call 
So to call Christians treasonous for refusing to say Caesar is Lord or self-identification is Lord or subjectivity is Lord or um, the Communist Party is Lord. Around the world today and for all Christians in history, that tactic and response has been the same to extort, to kill, to beat, and to imprison um, those that are sharing the gospel. But the gospel can't be stopped. To, to end, I just want to read a short um, section from this, this book. And um, this is from a, a group of um, Chinese house church um, <coughs> members. And they, they talk about um, what it's like to, to be there um, and their response to, to this type of tactic. Um, so it says, the security police regularly harass a believer who owns the property where a house church meets. The police say, you have got to stop these meetings. If you don't stop these meetings, we will confiscate your house, and we will throw you out into the street. The property owner then will probably respond, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The police will then say, we do not know um, any way to get to Jesus, but we can certainly get to you. When we take your property, you and your family will have nowhere to live. And then the house church believers will declare, then we will be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you, the persecutors will tell them. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers will respond. And then we will put you in prison, the police threaten. By now the believer's response is almost predictable. Then we will be free to preach the gospel, preach the good news of Jesus to the captive to set them free. We will be free to plant churches in prison. If you do that, we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And with, um, and with utter consistency, the house church believers will reply, then we will go free to, then we'll be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Um, I've been, that's, that's been something that's been super encouraging to me. Um, just since I've read it and it, it brought, it came back to my mind as um, I thought through my hangups, I'm scared to have a conversation with somebody because of the aftermath, but this sort of situation isn't anywhere in the vicinity of what I'm going to, um, encounter here in this place um but it's an encouragement that um that we can go and no matter what the response is whether it's a riot whether it's just that nobody will talk to us or um whether it's actual violence the gospel can't be stopped and the in our in our place um with the lord um cannot be changed or taken away um so we're going to end there um my hope is that, um, again, you're encouraged, equipped, that you walk away um, excited to share the gospel, that the things that maybe hang ups for you are exposed and addressed, submitted to the Lord, um, that the pressure is taken away, that uh, you can see that it's God's word and God's spirit that changes people, and it's us who bring the message. And we don't even have to come up with our own words. We go to God's word, and we bring those words to the people that are hurting and lost. And that the purpose behind it is very clear, that we're not doing it for our own um, gain or our own name, but we're doing it because we love Jesus and because we are um, worshiping him and being obedient to him. Um, I'd like to just close this in a time of prayer. Um, maybe those things that, that we wrote down together. Um, I'll just give us a moment to, to pray over those, and then I'll close this in prayer. Uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for um, what you say um, about your word that it is your word that produces new creation. That it's not us, that it's not our own abilities or anything that we do or bring. But God, in spite of us, you are achieving your purposes through your word. God, I pray for our church. God, I pray that you would um, be at work in each and every one of our lives.
God, the things that stop us, the things that um, discourage us, the things that prevent us, the things that would cause us to uh, be hung up in our attempts and in our um, desires to share the gospel. God, I pray that we would take each and every one of those things and we would just lay them at your feet right now. God, the anxieties that we feel about them, God, the fear that we um, experience when we um, think about those things, God, I pray that you would remove those things. God, I pray that we would trust what you say in your word about your word, that it's your word that brings new life. And God, that when we encounter opposition, that we wouldn't be shocked or that we wouldn't be um, surprised. But instead, God, that we would um, embrace that, that we would rejoice in that, that we would know that no matter what opposition we feel or experience or encounter, that the gospel cannot be stopped. God, I pray that there would be an excitement there um, for us to come alongside both Jesus and suffer for the gospel and for, for Paul and Silas. God, help us to um, have that excitement and, and be ready and um, enjoy enjoy the, um, the trials that come as we um, participate in, in your purposes here in this world. God, help us make much of Jesus in this church, both in our own lives, in our own families, and in our communities. God, we love you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.